You are listening to a broadcast of Dublin First Baptist Church, Pastor Cameron McGill in Dublin, North Carolina. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit us at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist Church and the Lake Church to hear from God's Word. Second Chronicles 7 and 14. But I want to let it get personal to us today, thinking about our role uh, as Americans and as Christians. A message I've simply entitled, The Revival of a Great Nation. The Revival of a Great Nation. I think it's very important to note that this particular text is a messianic text. What that means is it is specifically written to the Jews. So we, we don't want to take it out of context but we want to keep it very clearly in context and then make some application to the 21st century church. Let me ask you a question. Is, does God change His mind? Does He alter His ways? He is eternal. You know, sometimes you'll hear about a politician and they'll say, well, he used to, do, he used to believe this, but he, he kind of transitioned and now he's over here or whatever it might be. God does not transition. He does not change. So we take this passage with, that has a messianic uh, audience and we allow it to, to feed us, realizing that God's mind on things doesn't change. His outlook, His perspective uh, doesn't change at all. And um, so it's important we keep it in context. Here's what's going on. Solomon had made an end of the, and the completion of the temple and uh, it was there, uh, began praying began asking God to fill the temple with His power and with His presence. You know, on Sunday morning, I, I always pray that God would fill the house. I'm glad you're here. We're obviously, I think there's about 100 folks on, on one particular trip, which is wonderful. They get to go and have a good time and celebrate, and I hope they mailed their tithes in. But anyway, uh, if not, they can double up next week, right? But, but they're gone, and others, we had some folks at the Lake Church that uh, normally come here because they're sort of on a, a staycation, those kind of things. But I always pray God, God send folks to the church, and I'm grateful the church is, is still fairly full. We're grateful for that. But can I tell you, just the fact that we come doesn't get the job done. Truly, we need the presence of the Lord to come and to allow us to worship Him and then Him to feed us through the message, through the study of His Word. So when we look at this, we see where there's great uh, contextual relevance. And we say, well, God, we still need you to fill the house. We need you to send your power and your presence. We're going to pray the fire fall, all that kind of thing. So contextually, we get that. But we also see here very clearly a word from the Lord. If my people, verse 14, this is what we're looking at this morning. If my people... Now remember, he's talking specifically to the Jews, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray, and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven, and will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. I keep seeing the word my and the word their, and we understand that there's some pronouns going on here that are a little bit need to be clarified. My talking about God, and they're talking about the nation of Israel, the Jews. But we're going to bring it into the 21st century and say, God, what would you say to your people today? Now, I would preach a message out of the book of the Bible if there were one specifically said, this is the text for the 21st century church in America. If I could find a passage that said, Dublin, North Carolina, here's for you. But it's simply not there. So we look at this and we say, God, speak to us through this particular passage. The context, Solomon, the Lord's house, the contrast, uh, the nation of Israel before the cross uh, to us, America, God's people after the cross. 
But understand, not only do we see the context of this verse, we see the contrast of this verse, but this is what I want you to get this morning. There is an amazing contract in this, vo- in this verse. God makes a commitment to His people, and that commitment is not wavering, it does not change, and we can certainly draw something from this today that will encourage us and challenge us. Father, I pray in the powerful name of Jesus that you would take this simple but profound verse, one verse hidden here in the Old Testament, God, that you meant for your chosen people, the nation of Israel, help us to glean, to learn of the mind of God, to to understand your motives and who you are and how you speak to your people, how you use your people, God. These few moments of study that we have, that it would be profitable, I pray, that it would encourage us not only individually, but as a church, realizing our place in the world in which we live. In Jesus' name. Amen. I say it often, wouldn't it have been awesome that if the moment we got saved, we would have been raptured, redeemed and raptured, all in one motion, redeemed and raptured. The moment I got saved, God would say, come on home, you're coming to my place, you're mine now. As an eight-year-old boy, I would have been called up to glory. There are some ways that I'd think that would have been wonderful, that would have been awesome. I'd have never had to fought the good fight. I'd have never had to, to strive to finish my course. My course would have been finished the moment it began, but that's not how God works. In fact, the Bible says that we're to be strangers and sojourners. We're to be foreigners. We literally are now going to be out of place. We're not going to be accepted. We're not going to be embraced. In fact, we're going to be ostracized and pushed back in the corner in so many ways. But God has chosen to leave us here to be His witnesses. Now, how are we going to do that? We are living in a postmodern era. The world around us seems to be getting crazier by the moment. And uh, we wonder, is there any hope for America? Is there any hope that this one nation under God would ever come back, as Mr. Hooker said, to the place that we once were? Well, I believe we can, and I believe we will, if we will simply get a hold of this verse and allow this verse to get a hold of us. So I just want to walk you through it this morning uh, very quickly. Number one, I want you to think about our identity. Who are we? Now you might say, well, my name is such and such, and I was born and raised in this community, and I, I, I was, you know, like I saw a bumper sticker, Southern born and Southern bred, when I'm dead, I'll be Southern dead, or whatever it says, you know. Understand that, realize that we're more than Southerners. We're more than North Carolinians. We're more than members of the Bladen County community, and wherever you live, there's a lot of pride in that, and everybody's very, you know, you know very thankful for their community. But at the end of the day, our identity is spelled out in this verse. We are... God's people, if my people. In fact, it says called by His name. Think about this. In the early church, there was a a name put on the believers. And I've said it before, but it was not a name of commendation. It was not a name to brag on them. It was not a name to celebrate. They would say, look at those Christians. Now understand, Jesus Christ in the first century was still hated, still, uh, you know, uh, in so many ways despised. He was the rejected cornerstone. So those that stepped up and said, we have been called to be His witnesses, filled with His power. We're to go and be the arms and the feet, and, and we're to be the body of Christ. They were not embraced. They were not celebrated. I think about our nation's heroes, and many of them, when they would come home from the war, rather than being celebrated with 
the ticker tape parade, they would be spat upon. My dad tells a story about when he uh, returned home from Vietnam and my mom and dad both grew up very poor on a meal hill and there was no way for him to, you know, he didn't have a car and no way for him to afford uh, to be able to, you know, hop on a bus or a plane to get home and he did what so many soldiers did. He thumbed a ride and that's how he was going to get home and that nobody would pick up the soldiers. Sometimes they'd pull over on the side of the road and you'd go to get in and they'd speed off spinning the tires and throwing gravel. They were literally uh, rejected because of who they were and the fact that they were wearing uh, a uniform. And he said and many of the guys would say when they went out, they wanted to not wear their uniform so they didn't have to deal with the ridicule. In the early church, the very fact that they were Christians made them you know, rejected and ridiculed and, and so many things. And when we look at this, we say, well, you know what? We can identify with that. You can walk down the street today and you can claim to be anything you want to be, but if you claim to be a Christian, people will think you're a lunatic. They'll think you're somehow, you know, some way out on the right wing somewhere or something like that. But can I tell you, that's okay. It's okay to be identified with Christ. When they call me a Christian, they may not mean it with glowing affection, but I'm going to receive it with glowing affection. Are you truly grateful to be named among the children of God? Think about this. Psalm 33, 12 says, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. We have an opportunity to literally have a dual citizenship. I, I know a young man, he's a dear friend, and he, uh, he actually has dual citizenship. He is a, a citizen of Italy, and he's a citizen of America. And that's pretty cool. He can go to Italy, come and go as he wants. He doesn't have to, you know, uh, the, the, his documentation, he's not a foreigner when he goes into Italy. He's 100% an Italian citizen. He's 100% an American citizen. That's kind of hard for me to e even get my head around. But the fact of the matter is that you and I... 100% American, but also 100% Christian. I do not have to check one at the door of the other. I realize that I am a dual citizen. Now, what does that mean? I'm a dual citizen, and as a Christian, the Bible says that I'm to be an example of the believers in word, conversation, faith, spirit, charity, uh, all of these things. Paul said, Timothy, listen, you've got to be a witness. You've got to be an example. May I ask you this morning... What is our witness in the communities in which we live? Now, I'll say this with heartbreak and in not a haughty way at all. But in many of our communities, the church has left a black eye on the community. I meet people all the time and I'll invite them to church and they'll say, well, I used to go to church, but this happened. Or, well, I know somebody that goes to church and they don't live any better than me. And all of these kind of things. We need to understand that as a citizen of, 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 of Christ, as a part of the body of Christ, that comes with great responsibility. I'm it. There's going to be no other substitute. God's not going to send somebody else. It's up to the church. It's up to his bride. It's up to his body to be an example of Christ. In other words, we are his ambassadors. We are his representatives. How are we doing at that? I, I pray that we're doing well. I pray that we've got a good reputation. Can I tell you, the thing that I've probably been the most proud of over the years in the good sense of the word proud is the reputation that Dublin has. 
everywhere we go and even in other parts of the state people know what's going on in our church and they're hearing about it and they and they 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 call to commend our website and say look at all the things that you're doing but at the end of the day people are looking at us and when they look at us they're saying what does Jesus look like well the only way we can know is to look at his children a lady walked in this morning and her granddaughter attends the lake church and her grandmother walked in and I looked at her and I said, wow, I've, the lady's probably 70. I've never seen a 70-year-old and a 10-year-old look so much alike. They were the spitting image in the face. The fact of the matter is we're supposed to be the spitting image of our Heavenly Father that when people see us, they see Christ. So we're to be a citizen of Christ. But we're also to be a citizen of the United States. So what do we do? We realize that we're not to be tucked back in a closet. That we're not to be pushed back in a corner and say, well, we better not share our beliefs or we better not take the public stage. About five years ago, a friend of mine came to me and he was doing a revival two nights and I was going to finish it up. And I went the, the last night he was there and, and we, we met afterwards and he said, I want to tell you something. He said, God's leading me to, to run for office. And I looked at him and I said, are you crazy? If being a pastor isn't hard enough, you want to be a politician? Are you out of your mind? And for the last four or five years, we've walked that journey with him and watched. And there have been times that I've, I've criticized him and I've said, Man, why would you give up the pulpit to go be a politician? And little bit by little bit, he's shown me the importance of stepping out and being willing to, to be in that public forum. So where are the Christians sitting back? Well, the Bible says we're to separate State and church. No, the Bible doesn't say that. In fact, the Constitution doesn't say that anywhere. The Constitution was very clear to protect us that we might have the right to express our freedom in worship. Not to quench us, not to silence us, not to, to push us back. So my identity as a Christian and my identity as a citizen of this nation are, are not separate. They are one and the same. And yes, I'm proud to be an American. Yes, I'm thankful when I hear the national anthem, chills still come to my spine. In fact, I'll tell you, I have never had a more moving moment. A few years ago, Tom Martin, and I don't even remember where. I think it was at the courthouse in Elizabethtown, but Tom Martin was standing beside of me at attention with his, making his salute. And as they began singing the Star Spangled Banner, and it got to the, the little verse there that says, the bombs bursting in air. And I looked over and could see the remnants of the scar where he nearly burned to death after being shot down in a helicopter in Vietnam. And I realized that those are more than words and that he so believed in this country that he was willing to risk his life. And I think as a Christian, then why am I so inhibited and so fearful of just taking a stand? And I'm not talking about arrogantly and being cruel to people who are different than us or putting people down because they live a different lifestyle. I believe the church should love those folks and should lead those folks to Christ. But it's not about just giving up everything that we believe all for the sake of being politically correct our identity we have been called by his name number two our integrity notice what the bible says those who have been called by my name must first and foremost humble ourselves i want to know today in the 21st century is there any humility left in the church 
I get to go and I get to preach and I get to travel and meet a lot of people. And, and one by one I go into churches and I've told you this before, but it makes me so grateful to come back here and love on you even more because I see the struggle that's going on and I wonder what's going on. i tell you what's going on. It's pride. Everyone in the church expecting God to be on their timetable and God to do what they want and, and the church to cater to their whims and wants and needs. And at the end of the day, God's saying, my people, you better humble yourselves. You better humble yourselves. The high and mighty church needs to be replaced by the church that's on her knees before God. The Bible says as we humble ourselves, we will turn from our wicked ways. And when we read that verse, you think about people who are out committing crimes and, and people who are out doing all kind of heinous things. But the Bible tells us very clearly that there's not only the sins of commission, but they're the sins of omission. And the church that's hunkered down waiting on glory and not out there in the community and giving the gospel to a lost and dying world, we are the church that has become the wicked way church. Think about this. What is the most evil thing you and I as Christians could do? You say, well, murder somebody. Maybe. Maybe thievery or, or rape or any of a thousand crimes that we would be charged for. But I submit to you that the very most evil thing that we could possibly do would be to know the life-changing power of the gospel and yet keep it to ourselves. If we were going by someone's home and we saw flames coming from their window, we would want to go in and rescue them because we're good people. If we approached the scene of an automobile accident and saw someone that was in desperate need, we're good people. We would go to their rescue. Shine, if we saw a cat that had been hit and was struggling on the side of the road, we would pick it up and carry it to the nearest vet. But when it comes to taking the gospel to people who were lost and dead in their trespasses and sins so many times... We failed to do that. But as a citizen of Christ, as His people, we have been commanded to do that. And I humble myself. What is it that keeps us from sharing our faith? I'm going to be transparent. It's fear of rejection. And it's not that I'm fearful they're going to reject Christ. But it's fearful they're going to reject my appeal. If I share with somebody and they reject me and they're harsh or they're mean to me or, or they push me away, then that's going to hurt my feelings. But if I humble myself and turn from my wicked ways and, and stop committing the sins of omission, I'm simply sharing the love of my life with the people who need to meet him. Think about the great commandment. What is it? It's to love. The church needs to be the beacon of love. We need to let people know that they are desperately, desperately loved above everything. If I could go back 25 years in ministry and change, I'd change a lot, but I think that would be probably number one. One of my good friends, Tom Wagner, he's been here to preach, you know him. I've never seen anybody quite like Tom. When he goes to a restaurant, if he's never been there before, by the time he leaves, everybody in that restaurant knows that Jesus loves them. Because Tom Wagner is so good at sharing that love of Christ. It is not my nature to be extroverted. It is not my nature to hug people I've never met. It is not my nature to go up to people. But you know what? God did not call us to do what that, that which is in our nature. But he called us to get out of our comfort zones and realize that the world desperately is looking for love. That's why people are joining gangs at an all-time high. That's why we see so many things happening around us because people want somebody to love them.
And the church needs to be setting the standard. There's the great commandment that we love and then there's the great commission that we lead them. What a blessing, what a privilege. You say, well, wait a minute. We're living in the most dark and the most evil times our nation has ever known. That's true. And God, for some reason, has entrusted us to be light in a time of such utter darkness. He must think something of you and me that he would put such a burden and such a blessing on us. Number three, we see our identity as we are called by his name, our integrity that we humble ourselves and turn from our wicked ways. But number three, notice our, our intercession. When we come to this part, it says that we're to pray. It's an imperative word. It is a command. It is prerequisite to any move of God. May I ask you, how's your prayer life? Our prayer life usually is conditional. When things are bad, we pray. I've never been one to pray a whole lot about the weather. I just struggle with that because I'm thinking God is the author of nature. He's in charge of mother nature, if you will. So by me asking him for something, I'm, I basically, Lord, you send us whatever you need. We'll thank you for it. Lord, if we need a drought to teach us, give us a drought. If we need to be inundated. Well, a few weeks ago, I put some sod down in my yard. I looked at the weather and it was nothing but bright sunshines for 10 straight days. I mean, there wasn't a chance of rain and I thought to myself, I'm going to wear Tiffany and the boys out toting water trying to keep the yard, or, uh, the, uh, the, the yard watered. Having a hard time today. And uh, so I began praying, Lord, if it be your will, I sure wish you'd send us some rain. Lord, I, I, don't, I can't afford that water bill. Lord, if you'd send us some rain, my sod needs some rain, you know, because I'm kind of selfish like that. Well, then it started raining. And like the Dove brothers said, didn't it rain, 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 children, didn't it rain? Boy, I looked back at my phone and all you saw was rain for 10 straight days. My yard started molding. My, my, they started growing mushrooms. And then we've got this little concert tonight. And I looked, middle of the week, and it had rain hovering over Sunday. And I said, Lord, it's me again. You know how, Lord, I was praying for rain? Well, now I'm going to pray that it'll stop raining. It could rain all you want it to rain. But, Lord, I just pray on Sunday, Lord, it won't rain. Now, i got to tell you, honest to goodness, I prayed that early on about Wednesday, Thursday morning. I prayed it earnestly. I said, Lord, I pray believing. I do trust that, you know, I believe this is an event you want us to have. It'll be a special time. Maybe somebody gets saved, whatever. I said, Lord, if you'd just favor us. And I pulled out my phone and I looked. And that was the first time in like a week that Sunday had no rain. It had a cloud, but it didn't have rain. You see, sometimes when we pray for our country, we do so it's precipitated by whatever's going on. Lord, I pray for this election. Lord, I pray for this tragedy. Lord, I pray for this thing that's going on. But how do we pray biblically for our nation? Let me give it two things. Number one, and this simple, pray for the leadership. You say, well, I don't like them. Well, you pray for them anyway. You say, well, I don't agree with them. You pray even the more. Can I tell you, God commands us certain things that absolutely are without criteria they're absolutely without condition we are to pray for our nation's leaders some of them are easier to pray for than others he said well I don't know how to pray for them a few of them you might pray Lord get them out of office but Lord you Lord you bless them Lord you give them wisdom Lord you use them can I tell you Nebuchadnezzar was used by the Lord and he certainly didn't belong to God Darius was used by God but he certainly didn't belong to God God used our leaders I'm going to tell you this, and again, I don't know that we need to post this one. This one might get me in all kind of trouble. I, I made a deal with my buddy I mentioned earlier. I said, now, Mark Harris, I said, I, I, don't, I don't ask a lot. 
But now you've got to be honest. Bladen County did put him over. All right. I said, and I never met a president before. Now, he's going to be campaigning for Mark. I said, now, you know, we like this now, buddy. I want you to introduce me to the president. And we kind of joked a little bit about it. And he said, Cameron, I want your people to be praying for me. Because I'm going to be able to spend some time with the President of the United States. Isn't that cool? That makes y'all a friend of the friend. <laughs> but here's what he said. He said, can you imagine if the President of this country got radically saved? Now there's something we can pray for. Our country, our leaders, our President, our governors, those that serve us and those that are across our nation all of the elected officials from those serving in the local community across the community all the way to the state and the nation. Pray for them. Lord, 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 use them. But Lord, save them. Lord, come into their heart. Mark and I joked and I said, my, my fear would be that he'd be like, okay, I'm a Christian now. Everybody's got to be a Christian. We're going to pass a decree, you know. No, no, we don't need that. But can you imagine, can you imagine if we could be led by a person that was totally sold out for Christ? If they... If that were to happen, we need not start praying really, 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 really hard that they'd be able to dodge the bullets that would come at them every single day. Pray for our leadership. Pray for those that God has allowed to be in places of authority. Number two, not only pray for our leadership, but pray for His Lordship. That we would truly be a nation under God. That we would understand that we are blessed because there's a blesser. We are protected because there's a protector. We are an infant nation. Yes, we are the strongest nation on planet Earth. When our president says, y'all don't want to mess with us because we're bigger than you, I'm grateful to know that we're bigger than them because God's been bigger than us through the years. He has blessed us like no other nation save the nation of Israel. And by the way, I'm convinced that the two are totally connected. I will bless those that bless you, and I will curse those that curse you. The nation of Israel, she has survived and she has thrived, small as the state of New Jersey and the most powerful nation on planet Earth. Finally, and I'll close, our inspiration. I'm grateful for our identity in Christ, our integrity in Christ, our intercession to Christ, but finally, our inspiration. Notice what the Scripture says. After we've humbled ourselves and prayed and seek, uh, and after we've sought God's face, after we've turned from our wicked ways, notice what it says, that He will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin. Well, there's a key there, and that is seeking His face, desperately desiring to see the hand of God and to know God's will. Acts 13, 11 said, It is now high time for the church to arise, to awaken. There needs to be a spiritual halting. There needs to be a return to values. I don't understand what's going on in the world in which we live. I feel like such a foreigner. I was looking at some pictures the other day and back in the early part of this um, century. That'll make you feel old. And it was a Durham Bulls game. And Hooker and Martha Lou were there. And I know Miss Wanda and April were there. And others of you were there. Stephen Connie were there. But a lot of you were there. And those pictures. And man, we all look so young been about 15 years or more ago, you know. And I looked at those pictures and there were some that were here and some that have gone on to be with the Lord. And I, I cherished those pictures as I found them. And I realized that even in that particular time, how much has changed in our society. How much different communities are now than even they were there. And I thought, what will it be like in another 15 years? 
It will be in large part as it will be based on the reaction of the church to the changing times. Thank you for being a faithful church. Thank you for being a strong church. Thank you for being a church that believes in the hand of God and trusts Him and willing to do whatever it takes to reach your community. More than ever before, we need to help a community see what the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is all about. There's also a spiritual healing, a spiritual halting. Yes, there needs to be something that stopped, but a spiritual healing, and that's what only God can do. The promise of God is that He would hear from heaven, that He would forgive, forgive our sin, and that He would heal our land. I oftentimes wondered what happened to the church in the last 50 or 60 years to have brought her to the point in the place that she is. A lady came out this morning from church and she said, Pastor, please pray for my church. It's in Pennsylvania and she said, we're struggling. She said, it's so dead. We're down to just a handful of people and they don't even seem to care. She said, this is the first time I've heard the gospel preached in years. And I thought, well, there you go. <laughs> you can't expect a church to thrive or be strong or to grow without the gospel presence there. The gospel is a foreign concept to most people we meet every day. They will never hear the gospel unless we take it to them. May I say to you, the church is really good at inspecting fruit. The church is really good at standing back and, and pointing out all that is wrong with the world around us. In fact, if I'd have gotten up here this morning and went through a tirade of all the things that was wrong with this country, you would have amened me to death. But at the end of the day, God's never called us just to point out all that is wrong with this world. But rather than that, go with all that is right to this world and share the love and share the forgiveness and share the mercy and share the fact that there is a way that seems right to man, but the end's going to be death. But there is one way that is eternally right, and that is the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life. Father, thank you for the privilege that we get to be called Christians in the midst of a...